Good evening. I'm glad you could all be here tonight. I'm Carrie Barber. I'm part of the Women's Ministry Teaching Team. And tonight we're here to talk about Jude verses 12 through 16. So I'm going to start by reading those. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with, 10, 000, uh, with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts that they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we are here to hear more and to learn more and to get it rooted into our, our beliefs. And Father, we just ask that you speak with us tonight, that you help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear. Amen. So God is love, and we all enjoy hearing about this aspect of God's character and all the different characteristics and facets. And we just learned in the study of John in the I Am statements that showed us all the different aspects of Jesus's character. God has a lot of these characteristics too. So God the Father is consistent and true, never changing, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have different aspects to his character. God is definitely love, the Bible tells us in 1 John 4:19, we love because he first loved us. God's creative because it says in Genesis 1:1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God's powerful. He simply created by speaking. In Genesis 1:3, it said, God let there be light, and there was light. And God is understanding. He created us, he knew that we'd be hungry. In Genesis 1.29, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. These will be yours for food. God is compassionate. When he saw Adam was alone in the garden of Eden, and he said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And here we are. So these characteristics of God are easy to believe because they're good and they're nice and giving to us, benefiting us, they also feel kind of warm and fuzzy, right? But this is also true. God is holy. In Psalm 99.9, it says, Exalt the Lord your God and worship in his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And where God is, is holy. In Exodus, God was speaking to Moses, and he called out to Moses. And when Moses responded, God says in Exodus 3.5, Do not come any closer, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And God is just. In Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. Faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just as he. So why is it so hard for us sometimes to believe that God can be just and loving and holy all at the same time? Why do we like to focus on the warm and fuzzy? To me, it kind of reminds me of thinking about your mother and all those nights that she tucked you into bed and she gave you kisses and snuggles and giggles and fun, but forgetting 
that your mother was also the one that gave you all these wonderful warnings, like don't touch a hot stove, right? No running in the house, tie your shoes. And then the one that comes with the look, don't tell me a lie. She also said, look both ways before you cross the street. I don't know about you guys, but I found this one to be really perfect piece of advice. Used it my entire life, shared it with my own children. And we've crossed so many roads in our lifetime that honestly, if we hadn't listened to that advice, that in the words of my mother, I would probably be flat as a pancake right now because that's how my mother was. So she gave us these advices because they were for our safety and our protection and also our happiness. So how much greater is our God? How much greater is his advice? How much greater and insightful is what he have to tell us about? So in our study of Jude, we started out with Karen giving us this introduction to Jude, telling us all about the background. And then Lindy, who also talked about her mother, and I loved hearing about her mother, introduced us to the part of being beloved. Then we came along and Courtney started telling us about the purpose of this letter, and it was here as a warning. So this is why we're coming and talking about this warnings and what does it mean to us and why do we want to listen to it. So it's kind of like look both ways before you cross the street. And then Karen came back last week and she was telling us about these other references that were come out in some of Jude's comments and why some of them were in the Bible and some of them were not and why they were still things that we could learn from. So in this week in 12, we start out with the intruders. These are like the cars and the trucks of that crossing the road analogy. So it's the false teachers, the leaders, the pastors, prophets, and that they are here and they are meant and causing damage. So what do they look like? How do we know when they're teaching false information? So Jude tells us they're like hidden reefs at your love fest. So what does that mean? A reef is actually a good creation. It's created by God. It plays a very significant role in attracting diverse organisms in the, in the ocean. Algae and fish becomes their feeding ground, their homes, and they're also very beautiful. But what's a hidden reef? A hidden reef is a danger. It's a danger to people. It's a danger to boats. Very disastrous. What is a love feast? Well, a love feast in the early church was when they had time for food and fellowship. It's like a potluck today. It's coming together, these gatherings that were called love feasts or also fellowship meals. And the original text that Jude uses is a word called agapeus, which is a plural word of the form agape, which most of you know is considered the highest form of love. So these get-togethers were sought to strengthen the bonds of the early believers when they came together. They were to build a spirit of harmony and goodwill and friendship. It also was a time to forgive let go of past issues, and to really work on loving one another because that has a really solid pull together. But what happens when there is a hidden danger within our church fellowship and they are there without fear? Jude says they are eating with you at your love feast without the slightest qualms. They're not ashamed. They speak to the arrogance and the boldness of these ungodly people. They're not ashamed of what they're doing. Next, Jude mentions shepherds feeding themselves, and he's referring to those that should be caring for and feeding and protecting their flock. We learned in the I Am statements that Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
the shepherd that Jude is warning us about, is a leader, protector, teacher, caregiver that's in the church, that isn't caring for their sheep, but is instead feeding himself and worrying about himself. It can be extremely dangerous because they have influence to lead others astray or to cause followers to fall away because of their selfish actions. Then Jude goes into this whole talk about different aspects, and one of them is waterless clouds. It seems kind of harmless enough, right? But what if you're thirsty or in the middle of a drought? God created clouds for a reason. They hold the life-giving moisture for the earth and for us. They provide essential water needed to keep plants, animals, and humans alive. They have an important and necessary role and a purpose. Our pastors and teachers have very important roles in providing us the life-giving word that is essential to our spiritual growth. Break it down and help us understand the truth of the Bible to help us to grow and learn. Next, he talks about fruitless trees in late autumn. So why late autumn? What difference does it make? Couldn't it be good enough to say the fruitless trees? But no, because Jude mentions late autumn because there are seasons and times for a tree and people to grow and to blossom, to incubate our fruit. And then there's a time when we should be fruitful. For a tree, that's late autumn. So if a tree is full and abundant, providing food to to feed those that need it and survive, but if it doesn't give any fruit, it's considered dead or void of any fruit. But perhaps it's just had an off year and it still has leaves. It's good for shade. But a tree that is twice dead is one that is dead, not giving any fruit and not good for any other purpose. There is no reason to keep this tree. As a matter of fact, it actually takes up space in an orchard, and it's also very susceptible to rot and disease. So a wise farmer uproots those trees to save the entire orchard, because if you don't pluck them out, that spreads. Wild waves of the sea casting up foam on their own shame. So what on earth does this mean? Did you know that waves have a purpose? They transfer energy without necessarily transferring matter, but they can transfer matter too. There are patterns and peace and harmony in waves if they are moving in the manner for which they were created. But you throw in a storm, a tsunami, and all of a sudden these waves go to and fro and they're no longer doing exactly what they were created to do, which was to keep water moving, to keep it from being stagnant, and giving life to the fish that live in the ocean. So chaotic move, it casts up foam, causes a visual show of disturbance, and lets you know that there's danger in the sea. So again, not doing what it was created to do, but showing outward signs of disturbance, interference, confusion, and chaos. Now wandering stars. So stars were created by God to be the light in the darkness, We know that they have an order and a purpose, and their purpose is guiding and directing. They guide ships when they're out in sea, and there's no other landmarks around. They can always be counted on. They can help hikers who are lost to get back when everything looks the same around them. We like to see the stars and the moon at night because they show a pattern. They show a comfort. We can rely on them. They set our calendar. 
Stars point you to the true north. You know where the north is. But they would not be good for anything if when you went to bed and you woke up in the morning and they decided to all shift places and be in a different place tomorrow night. There would be no purpose to that if they didn't follow the order for which they were created. So a shepherd may still be over a flock of sheep and behave like a shepherd, but it's dangerous if they're doing it to take care of and feed themselves and not their, not their um, sheep. A cloud is still a cloud, but without producing rain, it's not doing the essential purpose for what it was created for. Fruitless trees is still a tree until it becomes fruitless and no good for anything, and then it's uprooted twice dead. And a wild wave without order to follow in the process that it was created only creates chaos and potential danger. And wandering stars are still a light, but without the ability to guide or direct, actually, even worse, misdirect or misguide. So Jude is telling us that these things are not what they seem. They look like one thing, but they're behaving like another. And Jesus tells us that there are consequences for these things. They're swept along by the winds, they're uprooted, they have shame, and the gloom of utter darkness that has been reserved forever. None of these are positive outcomes. They have devastating outcomes. Loss, uprooted, shame, darkness. These are the judgments for the ungodly and for their ungodly behavior. They're also a risk of all of those around them, sucking them in and emulating their behavior, and sadly, causing people to be disenchanted with being in the church, with being around believers. They are actually right there in the middle of our love feast, in the middle of our church family. And we don't want to allow them in to cause others to stumble and fall. So now let's talk about Enoch. So Enoch, the seventh from Adam, very specific telling you it's the seventh from Adam because Cain had a son that was Enoch. That would be the third from Adam. So Adam, Cain, Enoch. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, is actually on the line of Seth. So it's from Seth, their son, Adam and Eve. And Enoch is a descendant of of Seth, a biblical figure that was in the line of Noah prior to to the flood, was the son of Jared and the father of Methuselah. His story is very brief in the Bible. It's in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. And it says, Enoch was a man that walked faithfully with God. He did for more than 300 years. And at 365 years old, it just says, God took him away. We don't know why. We just know that God took him. He didn't have to go through death. We do know that he was much, much younger than any of the other patriarchs. At that particular time, they were living to be between 700 and 1,000 years old. So he really was kind of a baby in the whole process, right? When you think about how long the others were living. But we can assume that walking faithfully with God for more than 300 years, that he had some wisdom about God. So there are several books attributed to Enoch. There's the book of Enoch, which is also called Enoch the Scribe of Judgment. There's a second book of Enoch, which was also called the Book of Secrets of Enoch, because apparently to be taken up by God and not have to go through death, you have some good secrets. And the third is um, Third Enoch, which is a rabbinic text in Hebrew. So the Book of Enoch is what is being quoted here by Jude, and it's it's not considered to be an inspired canonical scripture by any religious group, as Karen had taught us last week, 
but the information in the book was well known in the Hebrew culture, well quoted. So although the entire book of Enoch did not make it in and meet the criteria to be included into our scripture, Jude probably quoted this part of the book because he considered it to be a genuine prophecy. So in this particular case, what we should do is take that information and we want to judge that information to see if it lines up with the rest of God's word. So in Jude 14 to 15, it says, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So does it line up with scripture? In Matthew 24, 29 through 51, Jesus talks about his own return. He said, immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. In Revelations 19, 11 through 21, in Revelations is a book about a vision by John that has four main parts. So in this, there is the warning to the churches, there is the encouragement to the churches and the believers, there is the judgment of the ungodly through Jesus, and there's this promise that God's faithful servants will reign over God's new creation, very much like Adam once ruled over the garden in Eden. So in verse 11, it says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on them that no one knows but himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven are following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So with these supporting scriptures and many more, we can accept Jude's quote for the warning that it is intended to be. Jesus is coming to execute judgment on all and to hold accountable and to convict the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness. And lastly, we have verse 16. It says, these are, and these are going back to these people that were referenced earlier in our section. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This verse is kind of like the explanation of who or what the dangers are in the cars, right? So what should we be looking out for? How do we know? Well, it's grumblers, malcontent, which defined as a person who is dissatisfied and rebellious or dissatisfied and complaining or making trouble. Loudmouth boasters and showing favoritism to gain advantage. So ouch, a lot of these sound really familiar, right? We see them about around. Some of this can hurt us when we look inside to see our own fruit. When we look inside, are we sure that we're seeing the fruit that Jesus wants us to see? Judy is asking us to look out, just like our mothers loved us so much that they wanted to protect us, 
and warn us of the dangers that could happen. Things that could make us sad, sick, or even cause death. How much more does our Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, and everything in it, love us? How much greater is his love and his desire to protect us and our relationship with him? Our intimate relationship with him is so important that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And Jesus willingly did this to free us from the wages of sin, which is death and separation from our Father. Jude is asking us to protect our beliefs and our relationship with God. He wants us to essentially set boundaries. Our relationship with God should be so important that we don't allow anyone to tear us away. Set boundaries to keep you from stumbling. Stay close to God. Keep yourself for Jesus so that you can be presented blameless for his mercy and grace. Watch out for all that we're being warned about in these verses. These dangers are from within our own love feasts, which can make them easier to trust and easier to be blindsided by. And the only way to determine a lie or deception is to know the truth. Go to the source. Get to know God personally. Create a relationship that is so precious to you that you'll fight to keep it. Verse 3 in Jude tells us that he is writing and appealing to you to contend for your faith. That is the faith that was originally for all of us in the Garden of Eden before sin, but now it's entrusted to us through Jesus as believers. So if faith has been entrusted to you as a Christian, what are you going to do to keep it, to protect it, to cherish it? Salvation is yours and can't be stolen away. John 10, 28 through 30 says that it can't be stolen away, but relationships can be damaged. Protecting it is an active stance of guarding your faith. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. God is worth it, you are worth it, and your relationship with him is worth it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this relationship, the fact that you opened the door, that we could come so boldly into your presence. Thank you that it is so precious. Help us to remember that it is our job to protect it and keep it, that you are always here that the gap only gets created if we go in the wrong direction. So, Father, I ask for clarity. I ask for um, desire to draw closer to you. I ask for wisdom, for truth, and for boundaries that can be set to keep and contend our faith. We thank you that you love us that much, and we love you. Amen.